This is this is fine. 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 This is a poor substitute for therapy, but an excellent substitute for other podcasts. We're not like other podcasts. Join us as we find the answers to the universe's biggest questions like is butter a carb? Does crying burn calories? And what the fuck am I doing with my life? We're here to be your part-time therapist, astrologer, concierge doctor, and fairy godmother. Do you need someone to validate you today? Cool, cool, cool. Come on in. We're fine. This is fine. Bonjour, bébés. Welcome to another episode of Drama Hour. As a reminder, this episode is not traumatic for you, the listener. We are not trauma dumping here. The name is a product of my dark humor coping mechanism. See also, validate me harder, daddy. And these episodes are intended to be a positive chat where we talk about what we've been through, what we've learned, and how we've grown from traumatic situations. Today's episode features a dear friend of mine who will be discussing adult ADHD, accidentally finding a brain tumor, and being your own health advocate. Avery Bredesen is here with us today for Trauma Hour. She and I met through work years ago in San Diego, and we were both about to embark on a similar journey. We both, without knowing it, decided to move to San Francisco to be writers at the same time. So up there, I went to Avery's spin classes that she taught in the evenings. She is an incredible coach. And we would catch up over Joe and the Juice overpriced smoothies in the financial district of San Francisco. We have both been on a similar mental health journey as well and both ended up leaving SF at the same time. That's where our paths began to diverge a bit. I want to point out that Avery is one of the most generous souls you'll ever come across. She is warm, vivacious, sunshine poured into a human body. She is empathetic, empowering, and the most natural storyteller and raconteur. I am so proud to count her as a friend and grateful she has offered to tell her story to all of you today so you can experience all of her goodness. Today, Avery has got some crazy stuff to share with us, including how she accidentally found a brain tumor while in the hospital for a car accident that happened on the way to Harry Potter world. Yes, that's a real sentence. So today we're talking about health traumas and mental health, medical advocacy, and what we can learn from those experiences of crisis. Avery also has some great intel on getting diagnosed with ADHD as an adult, which happens to many women because the criteria was defined around male patients. So yeah, good times. Okay, let's get into it and welcome Avery onto her first episode of This Is Fine. Avery, are you fine today? Well, I am not not <laughs> fine. We will just say that. Um, just a little backstory. My husband is in the military and we just learned yesterday we will be moving back to Hawaii, which is where we met um, three years ago in July. So... Super exciting, Um, but we're also planning a destination wedding at the same time. Both happen within six weeks of each other. So just navigating that space where excitement meets overwhelm, (laughs) but mostly excitement, just uh, block the rest at this point. Oh my God, that's such a fun overwhelm. Like for for two of us who have been like overwhelmed at different times in our journeys, like that's a good kind. (laughs) Yes, exactly. I'm just uh, trying to let the excitement outweigh everything else. Yeah, that's the hard part, the compartmentalizing the stress. Oh, yeah. But all in all, we're feeling good. Yeah. Are you fine? <laughs> I, You know, thank you for asking. It was so nice of you. Of course. I'm like, it's not about me. Let's keep going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like honestly, getting to hear your voice is just such a treat. And it's been way too long since we've chatted. I gave 
a little bit of a background on who you are and how we met, but I don't know if listeners really know just how much I miss you. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I know. We were with each other through some really pivotal moments, I think, in both of our just growth journeys, career journeys, mostly mental health journeys. But it's so fun to still be able to stay in contact and see how we're both doing and how we're both growing and all the excitement that's come our way. I love it. And I keep saying this throughout different episodes, but I really think there's so many positives to social media and the digital world. And like, yes, there's a lot of negative, but you know, being able to stay in touch and feel connected to you still and make things like this happen, like talking today for an episode, like that's such a blessing from social media. So yeah, oh, yeah. just give it up for social media. hundred <laughs> percent there. This is the way I like to use it. Yeah, this is this is the connection. And I feel like that's something we've always bonded over is our affinity for creating connection. Yes, 100%. It's all about those really personal moments, staying in contact with those that you love and just being able to share life together no matter where you end up. Yep. And I didn't say this in the intro, but Avery used to have an online magazine that was one of the first things that I wrote for on my writing journey. So Avery, like you're really the reason like this is all happening today. <laughs> oh my gosh, I completely forgot about that. That's so yeah. crazy to think about. Like back in the day. <laughs> back in the day. In the days of like online zines. <laughs> blogs when blogging was king. <laughs> oh my God, so good. So I'm just going to cut to the chase and yeah. get right into it. Like tell us about your drive to Harry Potter world. <laughs> oh my gosh. So I currently live in Panama City Beach, Florida. And at the time, my sister was in Pensacola. She is also in the military. And uh, she was about to move. So we got tickets to Harry Potter World for Christmas and chose the weekend we were going to go, took some time off work, and we were driving down. So from here to Orlando, it's about a six-hour drive. Two hours in, we were in Tallahassee, had just gotten some sandwiches, um, and it started raining. um, And all of a sudden, traffic in front of us was just at a dead stop on the freeway. We slammed on our brakes. And because of the water on the road, we just started skidding and thankfully stopped, uh, did not hit the car in front of us. But I just see in the rear rear view mirror, just something just flying at us. And it was a semi truck. (laughs) And the driver thankfully pulled into the median, but he jackknifed and slammed the back of his truck into our car. Somehow, we did not hit the car in front of us. We were just catapulted into the median as well. The back of the car was completely crunched in and we were fine. Holy shit. We both were wearing seatbelts. Sandwiches were all over the car, (laughs) but we were mostly fine. And we had snapped back like our heads on the seat rest, uh, headrest. So a little PSA here. Do not take those out of your car. <laughs> they are functional. Yeah. Yeah. But we were, we just had the guys check up on us, like the EMTs that came over and we're like, we're okay. And the tow truck driver was amazing. He was so kind. And we happened to be just a half an hour from an airport. We decided, hey, we're still going to Harry Potter World. This is happening. <laughs> and rented a car, went on our merry way. We, oh my God. It was <laughs> like crazy. everything's fine. <laughs> we were just like, you just got smashed and catapulted by a semi truck. Yes. And you're like, honestly, Harry Potter world. <laughs> oh yeah. my God. We're like, if we're okay, 
we have to do this. What else are we going to do? Just sit and like think on this all weekend. And there was no other time we were going to be able to go. So we're like, we're just, you know, full send. Let's keep on trucking. Full send. (laughs) send. We had a beautiful day at Harry Potter World. We both were definitely like banged up, had just some aches and pains, headaches. Yeah. Um, But thankfully, none of their, you know, the Harry Potter rides at least aren't really crazy. We did not venture into like Jurassic World and do all the crazy <laughs> roller coasters like usual, but we had a great time. And the next day, um, when I was back home, I just was feeling a little off. And I had been basically battling what I thought was a three month long migraine. I've grown up with migraines. Oh I know you yep. understand this. They suck. Mm-hmm. And I was walking my dog and I just all of a sudden like just literally felt removed from the world. I was like dizzy and like disoriented. And I called my husband, Josh, who was away for work at the time. And he was like, don't go anywhere. I'm calling uh, our friend, Adrian. He's like, she's going to pick you up and take you to the ER. And I was like, no, no, I'll be fine. And he was like, no, you're going. You know, worst worst thing they can tell you is you have a concussion and you rest and you're going to be okay. So we go and they run some scans and I'm like laying down in the ER with my sunglasses on, cannot look at the light. Mm -hmm. So just not feeling great. And the ER doc comes back in after I did a CT scan and was like, so you definitely have some swelling in your brain, which indicates possible concussion, but we mm-hmm. did find something else on the scan that is concerning to us. And he said, there's a, a little spot on there. So we're going to send you in for more imaging. And my heart just stopped. But I just, I didn't really know how to react. I like look at my friend and she just looks at me and we were like, what the heck? Um. Thankfully, the doc was amazing. I mean, I can't imagine having the kind of job where you have to tell people not always good news on a daily basis. And he was like, "Right, you're going to have about 24 hours of a bunch of tests and no answers. And oh my God. So I was like, okay, this is just what we have to do. And went to, they transferred me from the ER center to the actual hospital that has an ER. I was admitted and yes, 24 hours of tests. I had to spend the night, lots of scans. And as a claustrophobic person, MRIs, not fun. Oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) So bad. Yeah. So in the morning, yeah. So I had to stay the night. I mean, my friend is an angel of a human being. She stayed with me. Her husband brought us pizza and candy, brought my pillow from home. And um, we watched The Office, which is my favorite show, and yes. just tried to relax. And uh, in the morning, the doc came in and said, we found a brain tumor, and we need to get that out right away, but we don't have a neurosurgeon here in Panama City. Oh, my God. And I was just like, okay, I have no idea what to do from here. They scheduled me with someone two hours away in Pensacola. And we called my parents. Well, really, I had Adrian call everyone because I was like, I have no idea what to do. She called my boss and she called my parents. She called Josh. And basically, 
everyone just sprang into action. My mom instantly got on a flight. Josh instantly got on a flight. He was still away for work. And everyone just kind of descended. And I just had to let myself be basically taken over. At that point, there was nothing else I could do. And um, just had to relax and go to more doctors. You had an Avengers Assemble moment. Yes. People just... (laughs) Holy... I just got goosebumps all over. I cannot imagine hearing the words, you have a brain tumor. No. I mean, that's the furthest thing from anything I would have expected to hear. I am very Yeah, you thought worst case scenario was concussion. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I thought, you know, rest and relaxation. And here we are. I am a healthy 32-year-old and was at what I thought like peak physical fitness. I'm in the middle of a 45-day weight training challenge. I'm feeling good besides my head, of course. And it was just such a shock to hear those words come out of someone else's mouth. And I think I just, I couldn't process. I didn't have time to process really. Yeah. I can't even imagine how to process something like that. That's bigger than anything we're expecting ever. Yeah. Especially because at that point, we did not know if the tumor was benign or cancerous. And I just couldn't let my mind spiral. We drove the two hours to Pensacola, which thankfully is where my sister lived. We stayed there overnight and saw the doctor up there the next morning. And I just didn't get a really great feeling from her. I mean, she seems super confident. She's done a ton of these surgeries. But obviously, if you're entrusting your brain to someone, you want Mm -hmm. a second opinion. Yeah. And this is when like my deep gratitude for my family and uh, my dad's connection specifically comes into play. He is a doctor and has some of his old work partners located down in Houston at MD MD Anderson Cancer Center. And he was able to send out my scans. And again, Avengers Assemble. Um, (laughs) Someone was able to connect us to the neurosurgeon down there at the Brain and Spine Center and was able to get us an appointment that next day. But we were waiting for confirmation Um, got the confirmation around 6 p.m. and just got in the car and drove overnight. Wow. We stayed at the sketchiest hotel. Um, We just (laughs) needed something quick. We had my dog with me, who was like a massive German shepherd. Sweet ghost. Yeah. This 90-pound thing I'm sharing the backseat of the car with. (laughs) My mom and Josh are driving and trying to keep each other awake in the front seat. And obviously, I'm not sleeping at that point. I'm just trying to turn my mind off. And we go into the appointment that next morning. And I just felt obviously scared, but instantly calm. The Everyone from the nurse to the surgeon themselves were so kind. And this is what I think is important was they sat down and explained everything to me in layman's mm-hmm. terms. Obviously, they're using medical terminology for something, but they would explain it all and say, this is what That's we incredible. think it is. And that really helped calm my nerves because it had a name, it had a diagnosis. And I can't even say it, it 
hemangioblastoma, something like that. But they thought it was benign. It was located in my lower left cerebellum, which is the part of your brain that's responsible for balance and coordination. Now, the surprising thing here is I had no issues with balance or coordination. I was not exhibiting signs that there was anything there besides the intense headaches, which they said uh, were coming from the fact that it was starting to swell and fluid was starting to collect in my brain. Holy shit. So we just kind of, again, sprang into action. And he said, hey, I do multiple brain tumor removal surgeries a day, which is just blows my mind. Okay. Wow. Cool. Yay. (laughs) Super casual. All right. (laughs) And he said, I have a cancellation on Tuesday. It was Friday at this point. And he's like, and then I'm gone for two weeks and we can wait two weeks and I'll put you in right when I come back or we can just get this out. And I was like, no, get this out now. (laughs) Yeah. Talk about kismet timing. Yeah. It literally, everything looking back lined up so perfectly. So we say it was the best worst case scenario. A hundred percent. There's just no other way around it. The worst news you could hear and then everything lining up to support you in healing. Yes, exactly. So my family came out. Oh, the other part that was great. We have... Very good family friends that also live in Houston. Um, They are... So the Steeles, they work... Mr. Excuse me. Dr. Steele worked with my dad before. We've been great family friends. I used to babysit their kids. And they actually vacation very close to where Josh and I live. And we had been seeing them regularly and going out to dinner about every three months or so. So we had a great relationship with them and felt very comfortable with them. And they were like, you're not staying in a hotel. You're staying with us. And then they were leaving for actually a vacation in Hawaii. And they were like, you can stay. You can keep the dog there. Like, just make yourselves at home. So I didn't have to feel like I was imposing after the surgery. And they just kept me distracted all weekend um, we tried to play pickleball because at this point I'm like, <laughs> I had a bad headache, but I was like functioning. Yeah. Um, went out to get some Tex-Mex, relaxed. I still went to the gym. I was like, I need my last workout. And then, uh, <laughs> Tuesday I went in and it was in the afternoon. And I think that was the first time I started getting really scared. I didn't really okay. have... Uh, there was waves of fear, I guess you could say, during this whole thing because it's uncertain. But I felt really confident in the care I was receiving. But on that day, I did have a couple moments of like, why me? Uh, I don't understand. I've done everything right. I'm healthy. I'm, I hope, a good person. Like, you know, you just start questioning why these things happen. Right. Why do bad things happen to good people? That's, I feel like, a very normal emotional and mental response. And it sounds like, just from me listening to you talk about it, that this was a crash course, no pun intended, in healthy compartmentalization. It feels, Mm -hmm. just from listening to you talk about the way that you treated the weekend and how you wouldn't let yourself spiral, so you tried to think about other things. Like, Do you think that did help you 
in a healthful way, compartmentalize the fear in order to not be consumed by it? Yes, absolutely. I would say there's a couple factors that really helped me. First of all, was my support system from our friends here in Panama City who sprang into action, you know, when I needed someone to watch the dog before we left or we needed someone to check the house, check the mail, clean out the refrigerator. Like we didn't know when we were going to get home. And then between my mom you know, working with my insurance and my doctors to get things approved and cleared right away. And then Josh being in the military has that mindset. He's also is a leader. He's a dive instructor with wow. the Coast Guard. And wow. he had that mentality of just like, we're marching forward. This is what mm-hmm. we're doing right now. There's no other option. This is just the way it is. And I think I really drew from almost his stoicism a little bit. Yeah, it's like ground grounded energy. Yeah, like I kept calling him my icebreaker ship, like the ships that go <laughs> through Antarctica and just pave the yeah. way. And he was just like forging ahead and handling those battles so I didn't have to. The second thing that helped is I had started meditating Uh, back in April of last year. And it was short, just guided sessions, you know, 10 minutes in the morning and at night. And what started as a 30-day challenge between my sister and I became a daily practice. And I really noticed in that moment, my ability to just regulate myself. Like you said, that mental compartmentalization and... I am now a believer. I had resisted meditation for years. And all of a sudden, I'm like realizing it doesn't take a ton of time or sitting there for hours on end. Like just those 10 minutes a day set me up for peace in the most stressful time that I was going through. I have so much respect for that because, well, a number of reasons. I've tried to get into a practice over the years so many times mm-hmm. and for some reason I can I'm I guess maybe I'm erratic but like I cannot keep up with a meditation routine and this is honestly maybe this is my catalyst to yeah. give it a go again because you know people listening to this I don't know if anyone listening to this will ever be diagnosed with a brain tumor could happen but I think everyone listening to this at some point in their lives will experience a crisis mm-hmm. and hearing from you how you absorbed that information, integrated it, and I keep coming back to compartmentalize, but you compartmentalized and you dealt with it in a healthy way that got you through. I feel like if you had been more overwhelmed, which I would totally understand, the whole process might have been, I don't know, like more difficult in general, more painful. Absolutely. And what's funny is now it's harder for me to get back in the practice once I was out of it, but I'm really trying every day. And if I I miss a day, it's okay. Like I don't beat myself up about it, but I try to check it off in my agenda if I'm doing it. I'm a paper planner person. I write it in my (laughs) to-do list every day and just try to do it uh, and try to work back in that. But because I knew how transforming it was, but also I totally understand trying to make a practice of it is very hard. It's like, I can't do this. I can't concentrate. And then I'm like, oh, I'm not good at something. So I just shouldn't do it. I think that means I should actually give it a little more. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So, so your keys to surviving one of the biggest crises, if not the biggest crisis of your entire life was your support system and your meditation practice. 
Yes, absolutely. And what's funny is, again, I feel like the whole year before was preparing me to handle this moment. I was actually reading a book called Receiving Love. And I am a doer. I am a caretaker. I am the one that usually will spring into action to help someone and to let myself be helped and be loved and be supported and sit back was honestly the toughest challenge and biggest lesson that came out of all of this. Wow. Oh my God, that's beautiful. Do you feel like you've been able to integrate that more into your life now during your like recovery process and new life? Definitely. I mean, obviously surgery went well. Um, yes. Okay. Yeah. We got to circle back to the surgery too. (laughs) Let's let's leave them on a good note here. But yeah, surgery went well. I was in the hospital for only 48 hours, which is bananas to me. Yeah. That's insane. I, the next morning I woke up and the physical therapist came in and she's like, we're walking today. And I was like, excuse me. I was hooked up to a million machines. (laughs) I had a catheter in. I had the beautiful gown that opens up in the back. My hair was a terrifying (laughs) sight. Obviously, yes, they did have to shave about a third of my head. And somehow all my wires, all my monitors, you know, everything. We did a little stroll around the ward. And the next morning... Same thing. They came back, disconnected me from everything. I had to put on my real clothes and walk again. And that actually just felt so good. Again, like being supported and like letting myself Mm -hmm. be really vulnerable because you go from like a deadlift PR to learning how to walk again. And it was actually... It wasn't that bad for me. Like nothing in my body, nor my mind, personality, anything like that was impacted, which I think is important to note. It was low enough and in a place where that isn't impacted. So I was very blessed in that regard. But That's not something you think about until you're dealing with it. No, not at all. Because your brain is such a complex place. And again, best worst case scenario where it was located was not touching anything that could cause that super long-term, you know, obviously if surgery went well, but so yeah. Like an optic nerve or something. Yeah. Wow. So then I was just released. I stayed in our friend's place in Houston for another 10 days. One of my sisters came down to help me. Josh was still with me and my parents were there for a little bit. And we just watched a lot of movies and trash TV that I don't really remember because <laughs> I was on pain meds. Yeah. But oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> we did my checkup at 10 days after they took the stitches out and we drove home. And then I continued to rest and relax for another couple of weeks. But I went back to work. Like I work remotely, which is great. And I was back in part-time in within two weeks. And I had the, wow. again, an amazing support system at work. I just started a new job in May. And when we had called and told them what was going on, they were like, don't worry about us. Don't worry about work. Oh my God. This isn't anything you need to care about. Take care of yourself. Let us know what you need. And I still like get emotional Um about this, but they sent me Uber gift cards and oh my God. sent my family dinner 
from Magiana's the day I got out so we could come home and oh. sit down to a meal without lifting a finger. Um, I'm literally crying. That's so sweet. They all oh recorded God. a Zoom video of them just wishing me well and saying funny things and like all this just these wonderful, wonderful supportive words and sent that to me. And again, I just you felt deserve so that. It was amazing. I mean, you don't hear of that happening in most no. workplaces. So yeah, most most workplaces don't care if you live or die. And these people treated you like family. Yeah. When you're here, you're family. Sorry, I have to make jokes, so I stop crying. Please do, please do. Same here. I'm like, why am I crying over here? It's Wait, fine. what's the name of your business again? So I work with a branding agency called Tiny Wins. Tiny Wins. When yeah. you're here, you're family. Yes, I know, right? We're redoing the website, so I should tell them. We've got new taglines for you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a pro bono uh, Tiny Wins ambassador oh, now. <laughs> I really appreciate it. I know they will too. So. Amazing. Um, I, I just love to hear how loved and taken care of you were during such an insane time of your life. Mm-hmm. From the time of the car accident to the surgery, what span of time are we looking at there? One week exactly. Holy shit. Yeah. That's wild. I had no time to be afraid. I had no time to process. When, yeah. One minute, you're like Wingardium leviosa and the next minute, <laughs> he's like Accio brain tumor. I know, right? <laughs> How millennial can I be in one episode? <laughs> I know, right? All the quotes. Holy, wow. I, one week, you didn't have time to be afraid. Yep. I just, that was just what we had to do. And like, thank God, because I can't imagine just having to sit with that uncertainty for so long. And instead, right. we could just take care of it. And I was just on with life. And and there we go. Has it been a year? Um, that was September. <laughs> Sick. Okay. <laughs> I have a really great concept of time. <laughs> Dude, same. I definitely know where we are. <laughs> I keep writing 2022 everywhere. Like when I'm writing yeah, my journal, I, I'm like, nah, <laughs> it's not it. I started a Google Doc uh, that said February 2020, so I'm also very well right now. (laughs) (laughs) Don't send us back there. (laughs) I know, please. (laughs) We were so naive then. (laughs) Blissfully unaware. Oh, February 2020. What a time to be alive. (laughs) But okay, so it's been not even six months. Mm Mm-hmm. So, and I'm circling back a little bit. Yeah. You, you know, you had the kind of existential moment, like, why me? Yeah. Kind of taking a, a more practical, I guess, angle on that why you, does this run in your family? Is this genetic? Is this just a freak incident? Did they ever explain like why this happened? So the weird thing is no, there is no explanation. Uh, It does not run in my family. (laughs) There is no rhyme or reason. And thankfully though, there apparently is a disease that can cause these reoccurrences. And I didn't have that. And it did turn out to be benign. And they were able to remove it in its entirety, confirmed by MRIs uh, right after, 10 days after, and three months after. I will have to go back again for a six-month checkup and then annually for a while until he deems it's fine for me to come back about every three years and just keep an eye on it. Okay. As to quote my doc, he said, this should just be a blip on the radar of an otherwise vibrant life. And I just hold on to that every day. Um, Along with my boss sharing from her own personal 
breast cancer survivor journey, she was very straightforward with me and was like, you cannot live in fear of every scan. You cannot live in fear of this returning. It's done. It's over with. This doesn't have to be a part of your identity. And that struck me because I think it's great that we live in a day and age where people are willing to open up more about their struggles and we're willing to go you know, more and more willing to go to therapy or discuss what's going on in our lives. But I think it's very easily that easy to fall into the trap of making our identity and our life around our trauma, having to derive yes, I could not meaning agree more. from everything. And in reality, for me, this was something that happened, but it's not my identity. I can pull from it, But I'm not going to sit there and just try to make sense of it, try to pull out that deeper meaning. Right now, I'm just comfortably at the place that this happened. I am so grateful that I'm healthy and I had the support and I'm alive and I'm feeling fine. But it wasn't anything like those, I imagine, like the sky's opening and life-changing moment. Mm -hmm. And that didn't really happen. And I thought something was wrong with me. And now I'm at the place where I'm like, no, it happened. And there's little meanings I can pull from it. Like I said, support, meditation, being healthy, talking to your doctor and people you can trust. But I don't have to sit in this. I can keep living my life. Well, that's the lesson. Maybe that's exactly what the sky's opening up moment is that this is what it is. And that sounds so, I don't know, like (laughs) cavalier. So true. But yeah, you don't. And I think we talk about this a lot, like you and I, where the labels and diagnoses can help give, I don't know, something concrete to an abstract experience or something that's unseen. And sometimes it's really validating to have a diagnosis or a label, but it doesn't have to be your identity. And I could not agree with that more. I think the more that we identify with what ails us, the worse off we are. Like, get your label, get your diagnosis. But that's just, like like your doctor said, that's a blip on the radar of your vibrant life. I think that's one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more there. And... It's it's crazy. I mean, I really do feel better and better every day. I was back full-time to work in mid-October. And um, I was back to the, the gym uh, at the end of September, but just walking wow. on the treadmill. I was not okay. allowed to bend over or have weight-bearing exercises. But I would still show up and just walk on the treadmill because I felt normal. Like that was my sense of normalcy was getting into a routine. Yeah. And thankfully that really set me up for success because obviously I listened to my body. I rested a ton, but working my way back up so that when I was finally cleared at the three month mark to slowly resume weight bearing exercises, um, you know, I could go back and ski. Like I went to Colorado and visited my family last weekend and skied. Like I could basically return to normal everyday life. And it's been that much easier for me to just get back at it because I was already in that routine. I had already continued to build that consistency. And I think that's another important thing is just 
find your routine, even if it has to adjust a little bit. Find what makes you feel normal so you can just press on because it's easy to just get lost in what's happening to you. And this really helped just give me that extra perspective to pull me out of it. Absolutely. And you've always been such an active, adventurous person. So I imagine that helps you get out of your head and in your body a little bit more. Yes. Yeah, completely. And I think that's so important. And uh, I do still have my head partially shaved. Um, I love it, actually. (laughs) That's amazing. I go to my husband's barber when he goes in for a trim. (laughs) I just stand there and she like gives me a quick little shave. She's amazing. Oh my gosh. So you're keeping up with it. Yeah. I I just figured I'd like it for a little while. Also, I have a wedding in May that I got to look good for and there's no way that this hair is going to grow out and look presentable by then. So (laughs) I work with it. I rock it in different ways and it's just been kind of fun. Like, why not for a little bit? I'll I'll grow it back later when I can just hide in a hat for a while. But for right now, it looks pretty cool. So I'm okay with it. I love that for you. Yes, I love that. And like, what a nice like reminder of how strong you are and how loved and supported you are. Mm-hmm, exactly. It's like a little visual cue every single time you see it. Yes, definitely. And I did do some physical therapy for a while for my neck. That was probably the hardest part, honestly, was... Okay. Um, so the tumor was vascular, which means it had its own blood supply, which just again, psycho. Wild. What? Like, where does this yeah. come from? They have, how? they have no idea how long it's been in there. Um, I wasn't getting the signs and oh my symptoms, God. which are loss of coordination, seizures, falling, had none of that. Yeah. So they just have no so idea. Wait, I, I love that you brought that up again because I almost forgot to ask this. Like, you wouldn't have known that it existed if you hadn't been like jettisoned by a semi-truck on the way to Harry Potter world, you never would have found this. No, not at the rate that I was living. I mean, it would have gone downhill. As my doctor said, it was starting to finally get to the point where there was swelling and fluid. Okay. And their only concern with that was it can pinch off your the flow of spinal fluid in your brain. The swelling can. Oh. If it gets to that point, then I would have cool, been cool, a cool. lot sicker. Yeah, something <laughs> yeah. would have happened. And obviously we would have just found it later, but then it would be a lot more intensive Further of a surgery. Long. The recovery yeah. the recover would have taken so much longer. And it was funny. I had actually asked for a neurologist referral from my doctor like the week prior because I was like, these migraines oh my are insane. Help. Yeah, I bet they were. <laughs> I couldn't get into this dock until late October. And who knows yeah. if they would have, you know, said, hey, we need to do a scan. They could have found it then. But I'm just grateful it was over and done with by the time the office called me to schedule. And I was like, yo, doc, I'm good. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, yeah, I'm tight now. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And so have you had a single headache since? I've just had a little bit of dull pain every now and then, but I've not had a migraine. Really, the biggest oh thing is I have nerve pain because obviously a lot of nerves were damaged uh, when they, right. you know, quite frankly, they uh, <laughs> cut a hole Sliced into your brain. in my skull, <laughs> go into yeah. the brain, move things around in there, get something out and move on. And it's a pretty large scar. It does go into my neck because like I said, they had to... Rem- move all of the, you know, stuff that comes along with it. (laughs) But 
yeah, it just, um, I just kept kind of moving forward and I I feel so much better. And oh, the other crazy thing, my GI issues cleared up and my brain is gone. And I had been seeking help for IBS for, again, I know you know all this or like have experience with this, but GI issues, horrible for almost my whole life. And in the past two years, like, I'll be really frank with you. I couldn't take a dump like without help from like really heavy laxatives. And I was on this medicine that made me feel horrible. And I kept getting tests and my doctors were like, I don't know, it's just IBS. And oh my God, that's gone. And I think that is probably the craziest thing. Holy shit. Do you think it was all from the tumor? They think that that impacted a lot because obviously there is a lot of studies these days about the gut-brain connection. So they don't know why. Like when I told my doctor that, my neurologist, he was like, well, that's great. But didn't have an answer of why. Any kind of, yeah. There's just so much explanation about these tumors. Okay, that actually brings up something that you said to me that I would love to talk about more, like about medical advocacy. Mm -hmm. And you're a believer, like if something is off, you said to me, take the initiative, get professional care, really talk to the doctors, stand up for yourself, ask for clarity, ask for understanding. I think this is such an important part of the journey because you went in with a symptom that a doctor could not trace to anything and you had a brain tumor. That's insane. It's wild to think about and just thinking back over the past two years, all these different specialists I had seen because of GI issues, migraine headaches, Mm -hmm. all of this, and no one had an answer. So doctors see patients for an average of seven minutes. They are Mm -hmm. unfortunately a slave to the system. It's churn and burn. Yep get people in and out. And that doesn't give time to really get to know the patients, the lifestyle, what's going on. The full case. Exactly. So you can't really pull together a full diagnosis in that amount of time. And I know for a lot of us, not only is it a financial challenge, whether or not you have insurance, it's hard to find a doctor that takes your insurance that has good reviews, Mm -hmm. that you can get in to see in a timely manner. And also that even maybe has the, uh, you know, the kindness to and expertise to sit down and talk to you that you feel comfortable with. It's easy to just like want to listen to them tell you what's going on rather than speak up for yourself. And I think that's really important is make sure... You're like, no, when you have them in the room, take that time, ask the questions. If they say a term you don't understand, ask for a little more clarity. Do not go to WebMD. Do not Google. Do not go to TikTok. Do not go to Instagram. (laughs) Please don't. (laughs) Please do not. Because you never know what you're going to (laughs) find. Yeah, that is like one of the worst things you could do for your mental health. But one um, one of the things that I've started to do with doctor appointments because I know I can get overwhelmed, especially if you hear about a diagnosis or you don't understand something or you're just generally nervous being in a medical environment or you don't feel heard. 
Um, I either bring a notebook or I have a notes doc and I try to ask as much as I can yes. and either write it down or type it in. And just having that list to go off of or, you know, a note to take and like write something down and then you read it back to yourself and you think like, do I really understand this? Do I need more clarity on this? And kind of treating it like you are an investigative journalist yeah. um, for your own health case, I, I think is helpful because, I mean, both of us have learned that no one... No one's really looking out for your health as much as you are. There's no, like, fairy godmother of health who's going to say, like, oh, we should go to this doctor now. <laughs> yeah, and no one <laughs> it's knows you. It's you, you like you. So take the time yep. to really tune into your body's signals and when something feels wrong. And I had actually, you know, good point of writing things down. I had a note in my phone with some bullet points of just, like, this doesn't feel right. Or after I ate this, this is how I felt. Or... You know, yeah. just kind of tracking that and then being able to ask questions surrounding that when you're in front of the doctor because it's easy to forget. And it's just nice to be able to get the answers that you need or at least as much as they can share with you so you can be more informed about your next steps forward. And if you need a second opinion, you are more than entitled to take it. And also yeah. just... Yeah, we sometimes get so used to not feeling good that that becomes our new normal. That becomes our baseline. Yes. And when you finally feel good, you will just, oh, it's transformative. You realize like, why was yeah. I living in that pain? Why did I put up with three months of this extreme head pain? And yeah. why did it take a car accident to shake me out of my system. And I am someone who is obviously my own health advocate mm -hmm. and not afraid to seek care. And it took me a long time to really even ask for a referral to see a neurologist. Wow. Yeah, because if there was an MRI, that would have been the first thing that the neurologist did. If you had been referred to someone earlier on, right. like you go to your GP and they're like, okay, here's a neurologist. The first thing they do is take an MRI. Mm -hmm. And I feel like they would have found it. And yeah. you didn't get referred out. And I'm so sorry. <laughs> but, you know, <sighs> it happened. And here we are. It happened. My... it happened and like there was a big lesson, yeah. a lot of big lessons from it, clearly. Absolutely. So you have been advocating for your health in a lot of ways, and it doesn't always take a car accident for you because you also recently got a different diagnosis mm -hmm. as an adult. Yes. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. So the good old one that pops up a lot now, I was diagnosed actually in July with ADHD as an adult. And my mom actually was just diagnosed earlier this year. And she is in her early 60s. No way. Wow. Yeah, and she had grown up thinking, oh, I'm just the student who can't focus and is loud and is talking and always in trouble. Mm -hmm. And Class clown. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, all the dots started connecting when she finally saw a doctor that she trusted and can talk about this with. And that made me think because I was not that person. Like I was, you know, straight A's or at least B pluses. Yeah. And A type, very focused. Yeah, <laughs> but I also knew that something was different. I am a huge procrastinator, which just I thought was normal. Mm. And then I would just do everything like right before it was due. Or I'd do homework for science and math class and it, 
I do English in science class. Like I was just constantly, you know, barely staying afloat. You're catching up. Yeah. yeah. And I started noticing that, especially when I went into a job where it was more demanding of my time and my brain. And I mm -hmm. just could not focus. It would take me oh my gosh, I would do my morning routine and sit down and all of a sudden it's like noon and I'm like, what did I do today? Oh no. <laughs> and I was just irritable all the time and I'm like, again, something doesn't feel right. I told my doctor and she was able to connect me with a fantastic psychologist and cool. I went to three different appointments with a bunch of testing with him. So we did anything from IQ testing to like math to images and moving blocks. And it was crazy, the stuff we were going through. And I was like, how is this pertinent? But it was. He, yeah. he wrote this big report. And when I was going over it with him, I just started sobbing because I just felt seen and heard and yep. relieved. And... The, the other unfortunate thing about that was then I had to be connected, of course, to a psychiatrist in order to discuss how am I going to manage this. Mm -hmm. And it's been six months and I finally have an appointment coming up on February 17th to go over oh this. Oh my God. And it takes a long <laughs> time. So in the meantime, yeah. I've just had to develop tools and ways to manage, which I've done my entire life, of course, but it's relieving again, like you said, like have the diagnosis, move forward with yeah. the plan. But again, it's not something that I'm going to attach to myself as an identity. Yeah, exactly. You're not Avery with ADHD. Yeah. This is just like... <laughs> like most people don't even know just I like, have it. You know, like they're like, yeah, it doesn't seem like Never you would have been that kind of person. Right. I think we have different perceptions of ADHD, and we've also talked about this, but I think a lot of the qualifiers for an ADHD diagnosis are based on um, how it presents in men mm -hmm. versus women. Have you found that as well? Yeah. I mean, if we think of it, we think of the crazy, disruptive little boys running around the classroom. And right. it is true that I think... So my mom's doctor was saying it's something like 65% of women don't receive a diagnosis until later in life. I wouldn't quote me on that exact thing, but it's a super high percentage wow. of women yeah. are diagnosed later in life because they notice something different or because they're tired of just trying to get by and have a normal life. And it may show itself in different ways. Like for me, procrastination, it would take me forever to you know, make a simple phone call, go to the post office, like things that shouldn't take that long would take me weeks. And I would have, you know, yeah. deadlines two weeks out and I'd do it that day. And it was fine. I was getting by, but I wasn't putting forth my best work. So I, again, I think it's important, you know, if you notice something that isn't quite comfortable, whether or not it's yeah. ADHD or you just need to talk to someone or get insight, again, like, go for it because you, you're you sitting in a norm that really is, doesn't have to be your norm. Like once you feel better, you're going to be like, whoa, th this is what life is supposed to feel like. <laughs> Wait, what? what? <laughs> this is what good okay. feels like. So on WebMD, it says that most women with ADHD get an accurate diagnosis in their late 30s or early 40s. Mm -hmm. 
Experts say there could be several reasons behind the diagnosis. Parents, teachers, and pediatricians miss ADHD symptoms and behaviors in young girls because they aren't obvious. It's also possible that doctors diagnose girls and women, young women, with other mood disorders like anxiety or depression yep. rather than ADHD. Yep. Wow. And that, that was Okay, me. so... Yeah. Okay, so what you just said, these are the bullets from WebMD. So these are some of the symptoms and signs of ADHD in adult women. Difficulty with time management disorganization, feeling overwhelmed, history of anxiety and depression, difficulty with money management. I'm like, do I have ADHD as well? I know, right? <laughs> like, wait. <laughs> it's so true. And joking because it's all I can I do. Know, right? <laughs> and what my doctor was saying when I was talking to him after the diagnosis, and he was saying, even just calling it ADHD is really a misnomer because it, you're not necessarily yeah. hyperactive and running yeah. around all over the place. You could be lethargic because you are trying so hard to keep everything afloat. Right. And that's why I really like, and, and you'll start to see it more, at least now that I'm aware of it, I start to see it more of it being called neurodivergent. And yes. your brain just thinks differently. And they've actually been able to start studying what brain scans look like and actually seeing different thought patterns, different signals, different areas of the brain lighting up. So it actually is something physical manifesting in your body. And so it's great to see there's a lot more studies around it, a lot more focus on women and seeing how you can be helped without waiting till later in life. Yeah, absolutely. And this is so like not on the topic, but you always have reminded me of Shalene Woodley and you just said neurodivergent. I'm like, oh my God, she's divergent. <laughs> oh my gosh, I know. Right? Every time I think of that, like, I'm like, really? oh my gosh, divergent. Yeah, that, that's you, you're divergent. Um, and I think that's amazing. Like just embracing the way that our brains function differently, where it's not so much a diagnosis of like something that's wrong or off, where it's just looking at what are my differences? What are my strengths and weaknesses? And how can I adapt my life to better fit how my brain works? Exactly. And I think too, there are ways to manage it beyond just going on stimulants. And Obviously, yeah. I'll have the conversation with my doctor about a treatment plan, but I'm also really working with a coach and I've worked with a therapist to manage my lifestyle in other ways too. And I think that's something important to think about again is some doctors will be very quick to prescribe and be your own mm -hmm. health advocate. Really think about is this going to help me? Is this going to help me in the long run? What are other ways I can support my body? What are other tools I can employ in order to live an otherwise healthy and productive life? Absolutely. And informed consent is so important. Mm -hmm. If you do end up taking a medication, a lot of doctors don't necessarily tell you what might happen if I stop taking yeah, this. Yes. Do I have to be weaned off? Is there withdrawal? Can I just stop one day? What are the options that I have if I don't want to continue this forever? And what are some of the possible side effects? Not just the common ones, but are there some extreme ones I should be looking out for? I think 
that's something that we don't necessarily, it's not something we're taught in school to ask about like informed consent when it comes to being prescribed a medication. Yeah, not at all. And I have nothing against prescriptions. I have personally been on SSRIs with success for a long time, but I've also been able to have the discussion with my doctor of, hey, I'm in a really stable place right now. How can I cut back on this? How can we see if I still feel okay when I have all these other support systems around me to to wean off something that did help me at the time get to where I needed to be. But yes, that's the thing is we don't really fully understand the process that it can take to either wean yourself off or adjust your dosage or even Mm -hmm. make sure you have access to it. I've been in situations where I've run out of my medication and can't talk to my doctor and can't access a refill. And that's terrifying. It's awful. I've missed days just from being an airhead sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Again, like, do I actually have ADHD? Right. Um, but I've missed days of it. And I'm like, why do I feel like I'm dying? Yep. Like, why do I feel awful? Oh, I didn't take my medicine since Wednesday. Yep. Like, just crazy. And I'm like, oh my God, that's what it would be like if I had just stopped cold turkey. Like, imagine how that would progress. So, I mean, at least I know it's working. But right, right. <laughs> um, you, you don't always have the full picture of what you're signing on to. A lot like student loans. Oh my um, gosh, right. <laughs> but but uh, yeah, I think that's it's just stuff that we need to take on now, integrate into our lives, learning as an adult through conversations like this and shared experiences. Yeah, I mean, you have to be your biggest cheerleader, your biggest champion, mm-hmm. your biggest supporter, and obviously lean on the people around you and and let yourself be supported and loved. But also really take the time to deeply learn about yourself and be willing to have those conversations, be willing to seek out the support because you don't have to have this norm feeling of just like, I'm okay, or I'm just fine all the time. Right. You, you can be This is good. fine. Yeah. You, you'll have <laughs> yeah. those ups and downs and, and it's a road, but be able to find what your new normal is and really, you know, raise your frequency and all that kind of stuff by letting yourself be supported. I love it. Thank you so much for this. And I would love to, of course, I'd love to end this by, we talked a lot about what you've been through. Mm -hmm. What's ahead for you? I know you're moving to Hawaii. You're planning a destination wedding, but like what's for you and your body and your brain? You've just been through so much. What do you see coming down the pipeline for Avery and Avery's brain? Yeah. I think right now it's that continued focus on not just building myself back to where I used to be, but discovering where else I can go. And I was really frustrated at points during the recovery process because I just wanted to be good already. And in actuality, Mm -hmm. I look back and I'm like, it's not even been five months and I'm (laughs) better than before almost. And so I just really want to keep, you know, moving forward. I want to kick butt at my job that I haven't been in for a year yet. I really enjoy it. So this year too, I want to find some different creative outlets, you know, something that's off screen. I love writing. Yeah. And all of that. And you're so good at it. (laughs) But I want to find something that I don't just have to be in front of a computer so totally, I don't know what that looks like yet, but just trying to find some kind of creative pursuit. And yeah, I mean, moving to Hawaii 
We are so excited. Yes. I have a great community out there still from when I lived there before. So that's really exciting. Yeah. So I think going forward, I'm just going to take what I learned of just one step at a time. This is just the path we're on. And uh, just, yeah, keeping on. Live it. Living in the yeah. present onward. onward. I'm so excited for you. Yes, thank you. <laughs> oh my gosh, Avery, I love you. Thank you for joining us for Trauma Hour. Thank you for sharing your traumas with us. Of course, <laughs> thank you for having me. It's always wonderful to catch up with you. My sweet loves, I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Trauma Hour and I hope you also feel seen, heard, validated, less alone and more empowered. To keep up with Avery, check out her newsletter on Substack, What Doesn't Tequila? <laughs> Clever. <laughs> Avery, A-V-E-R-Y, B-R-E-D-E-S-E-N dot substack dot com. Don't worry, that's hyperlinked in the show notes too. We'll see you here next week. If you have any questions or a topic you'd like us to cover or dig into, you can always leave us a comment on Patreon, patreon.com slash thisisfinepodcast or email me, I'm fine at thisisfinepodcast.com. We love you. Aviento. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of This Is Fine. I've been your host, Dominique Michelle Astorino. We're based in San Diego, recording in studio at DLI Productions in Pacific Beach with Emmy Award-winning sound designer Dan De La Isla. This is a comedy and advice podcast, but for legal reasons, this entire podcast is a joke and none of it is medical advice. To download the transcript or learn more, visit thisisfinepodcast.com. 